Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Offset Podcast. I am your host, Falcon Spy, along with TJ as my co-host for this session. This episode, we have Jerry Blanks, member and community moderator here on our Offsec Discord server. Jerry Blanks is also a director of InfoSec for his small business organization. Jerry, it's great to have you and welcome to the podcast. I know TJ and I got to speak with you a little bit uh, as you're a mod on our server, but uh, for those who don't know you, uh, would you like to tell a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me, by the way. I've been looking forward to talking to you guys for a while. So I'm Jerry Blanks. I'm the director of information security for a dev organization. I've, I love doing InfoSec things. Super excited about always learning and growing. Love helping people advance their careers. Love helping people find what they're passionate about. I'm, I'm big time about passion projects and, and passion for job. That's cool. So were you always in the InfoSec field? Like, where did you get your start? Like, what was the nail in the coffin that, you know, drove you to get in the InfoSec field? So I started out my career in customer support. So I was answering phones, um, taking, you know, like first line customer support calls. And then I transitioned over to be in development. I would actually travel out to customer sites, um, mm. help them get their stuff set up, install their database servers for them, do custom development. And I always enjoyed finding unintended ways to do development. So write, writing code that would they would do things that kind of subverted the normal patterns, subverted the normal expectation. And I've always loved hacking things, but I never thought I could actually get paid for it. I didn't want to go to jail. And so I, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be a dev because I won't go to jail. I can hack stuff and not go to jail. But then um, in my org, uh, a role opened up and they were like, hey, we need someone who knows how to read and write code to look at our code for vulnerabilities. And I was like, that sounds awesome. I mean, that sounds great, right? I'm still reading and writing code. Uh, looking for vulnerabilities. And it just kind of went from there. I just saw this opportunity to hack and get paid and thought that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. So what were some of the resources you used to get started? You know, coming from your side of you know getting in development, right? What helped you with your transition trying to get into InfoSec? So one of the biggest things that helped me with my transition was honestly setting goals for attainable um, learning. So I looked out there and I said, okay, if I want to be successful in this field, what do other successful peers have? What do okay. they do every day, right? And so I looked and I targeted some certifications as a way for me to learn. And I said, okay, successful people seem to have their OSCP. Business successful people seem to have a CISSP. And then I actually got some other certs. I got like CEH, which I wouldn't ever recommend to anyone, but I got it. Because, you know, I was, I was looking around and I was like, what do people have? What can I, what can I do? And so... That's what I did. And I found some groups on Discord and I found some groups on IRC of people who are also studying. And I started bouncing ideas off of people, you know, saying, hey, how do you approach these kinds of things? Lots and lots of research, um, finding like-minded people, building a community of people around me who, who wanted the same goals. Um, and yeah, and one of, those, one of those big things was offensive security certifications. Um, they really helped me get my, my head in the right spot, transition from a dev mindset to a hacker mindset fully and be able to do that. That's awesome. All right. So you kind of brought up kind of going after a bunch of different certifications. So, you know, some, some have the belief that having a certification or a degree from college is basically a requirement to, to join the field. Do you feel that at least having a degree or even just a certification is at the very least helpful even if it's not considered a requirement by you? 
Yeah, my answer is I, I don't believe certifications and be 100% necessary, but I think they show that you're committed to continuing your learning, that you're committed to pushing yourself and growing. And so I, I evaluate candidates for when I'm hiring and helping people in career growth based off of two buckets, right? Two groups, the people that have formal training and those that don't. The people who don't have formal training, I look for the passion projects that they're doing, the things that they're investing in themselves. For the people that do have training, then I weigh also that in with their passion projects as well. So it's not a requirement. It's a, it's a path forward for you to be able to say, here's how I'm investing in myself. Getting certification shows that you've invested in yourself. And there's certifications for so many things these days that you can, you can find a certification for whatever you're interested in. Go, go find out what you love to hack or what you love to learn. Get a certification in that and it'll help you put your best foot forward in your career. So you kind of brought up, you know, the OSCP certification or a bit earlier. So you'd went through it before the big update uh, that we had in early 2020. Uh, you know, what were some things that you enjoyed at least before the update since you haven't gone through it? And then, you know, do you wish you could go back to the labs and even take the new OSCP exam that has a bigger focus in, with it with Active Directory? So I'll answer the second part first. Yes, I wish very much that I could go back, redo the labs and redo the exam. Um, one of my favorite exam experiences ever was OSEP, so Pen 300. I just loved the lab. And, and from what I'm hearing about the new Pen 200, that's a lot of how the structure is and it follows the same thing. Different attacks, different difficulty level, but the labs sound really cool. I did buy the updated course for, um, for PWK. So I do have the updated course material, which I refer to often, but I would love to go play in those labs. They sound fun. Um, my fondest memories of, of doing my OSCP, doing the PWK in the labs was honestly root cause analysis. And this is going to make me sound probably as nerdy as I really am, uh, not more, but I love doing root cause analysis and understanding why something behaves the way it does. So, you know, getting a shell on a host. Okay. Why was I able to get that shell on the host? What's the underlying code issue or configuration issue that allowed me to do that? I tried to dig in and do deep root cause analysis on everything that I could just for myself so that the patterns would start to connect for me, right? So I could start doing pattern recognition and saying, okay, if there's a vulnerability of this type, maybe if I see similar patterns when I'm doing my enumeration, it's the same type of vulnerability. Understanding the underlying code, understanding the vulnerability patterns and types really helped me to be able to understand the objectives. And so I loved that. Um, I loved doing um, all the boxes that I did. I, I pivoted into one of the other subnets, but I don't remember which one. I really enjoyed learning about pivoting. I was bad at it then, not much better at it now. Um, I was really bad at it then, but I made it through. Um, I, I learned so much and, I, and it's a recurring thing with me. I love to learn new things. I love to be able to learn new things and then take that and apply it somewhere. So that was a big thing for me. So Jerry, I'm going to throw a curveball question at you because I'm actually yeah. curious, you know, that you've enjoyed the PWK labs, right? You enjoyed your experience, your time with it. You know, um, I know you're giving out a lot of hype for it, but the other thing I want to kind of know is, you know, as we go through the labs, right. And I know I've seen this with others too. We've had struggle points, right. We've hit roadblocks into some of the things we're looking at exercises or even having a roadblock into us trying to escalate onto a system. Did you ever have any of those type of roadblocks? And when you did, what did you do to overcome those type of challenges? Uh, that's a fantastic question. Yeah, I had tons of them. Um, 
And, and the approach that I took, I would take the approach of trying not to get tilted, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to take a step back, refocus myself, and then reapproach the problem, knowing that, hey, this is for my learning. There's something here, right? Because this is an intentionally vulnerable host. There's something here. What am I missing? So let me refocus. Let me let me recenter and go after it again and trying not to let the frustration take hold. There's a lot of times that it did. Um, and sometimes I would like walk away for a day and be like, I'm just not going to do this for a whole day, right? I'm going to go do something else for a whole day. And I would do that. And, and I'd leave and come back and find my, my mental center again so that I could approach the problem objectively. Um, and I, I love to try to objectively approach things and dispassionately do it. It's not always easy, right? Um, I love hacking things. And so getting passionate about things is, is part of that. But trying to take a step back, dispassionately look at what am I doing? Am I doing something that's repeatable? Um, you know, And am I doing something that's going to give me the same enumeration every single time? I, I tried to disconnect myself from the process as much as I could. And that doesn't work for everybody, but it worked for me. It helped me to understand what I was doing and understand where I was going wrong. And that, like I said, there was a couple of times I walked away for a couple of days. And yeah, it sucks to burn lab time, but it worked for me because when I came back, I was focused again. Yeah, I could see that you were refreshed. You had some time to go through, do other things, other projects, right? You know, so that you were able to clear your mindset when you're ready to go back into those challenges or the issues that you were facing before. But you also learned some creative techniques that you could implement as well, which I think is really good. And that's yeah, and- what I would hope other students, you know, would take as well, too, when they're going to be going through, you know, the PWK course and then also to attempt their exam. Yeah. And then and, and that's a huge thing, right? Your mindset is so much of it. And, and I, I think it's that way about most things, not even just like certifications of work, right? And life, your mindset plays such a big part. And the better you can clear your mind and give your mind time to process things, the better. Mm-hmm. So, I'm all about meditation too, by the way. I love to meditate. Yeah. Mindfulness, you know, I'm not going to go too much into that. But, <laughs> but it helps me it helps me clear my mind, right? right. Find, find that center again. You definitely could go into it though a little bit later if you'd like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would see why not. I think it's yeah. great that you have something to step away from like that. Yeah. Agreed. So, you know, now that you've got your OCP and also you got your OCP as well too, if I'm correct. Yep. Um, what are some tips you can give uh, to those, right? You know, new students that are coming in, they register for the course. What can you give them to help prepare for their journey, right? And try to attain their OCP. I would say... Thoughts? I would say figure out why you're doing it, right? Because that can, that can all unlock your motivation too. Like, are you doing this purely for your job and financial gain? Great. Make that your motivation. Are you doing this because you love to learn? Make that your motivation. Start with why. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? What's my purpose behind getting this? And then let that drive you and always consider everything a learning process. Every failure is a learning process so that you don't repeat the same mistakes again. Um, and also don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, th- there's a difference between going and reaching out to someone being like, Hey, just tell me how to do this. Give me the answer. That's not, I don't think that's the right way. The right way is to go to someone and say, here's what I've done. Here's what my mindset's like right now. Here's what I think. What do you think? You know, and you can even just approach it from a, a high level thought exercise, as opposed to asking for specific hints on an individual box, just you know, here, here's the things I'm trying. What am I missing here? Right. And then someone can come back to you and say, oh, have you thought about enumerating for this? Have you thought about looking for this? 
And that, that can help flip the switch for you. And you go, oh, no, I haven't thought about that. Let me go dig into it. Mm-hmm. But treat everything as an opportunity to learn and understand that the personal growth is half of the payoff, right? Mm-hmm. Professional uh, certifications, I mean, are a payoff in and of themselves. But the personal growth that comes from them is a huge payoff. I agree so, with that. I have a question for you, Jerry, now that you kind of just brought that up. Were there any yeah. machines within the, the Pen 200 labs? Granted, they've been updated now, but... At the time, were there any machines that kind of gave you a run for your money where you actually did have to reach out to a fellow peer and ask them, you know, am I, am I going in the right direction? Was there anything I have to do in terms of an attack that I, that I should try? So I do not remember the name of the host, but there was a pivot box, um, which was a Linux host, which was a pivot box. And I kept scanning and I was like, I know this is a pivot box. And I was scanning and I was getting back IP addresses and I'm like, wait a minute. No, this is, this is not what I think, you know? And I had to reach out to someone and they were like, dude, it's, it's dual homed. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, that explains exactly why I'm seeing what I'm seeing, you know? And, and I remember that specifically because the, the, the switch flipped in my head and instantly I was like, now I feel really stupid. And, you know, I, I, I'm like, crap, I shouldn't have asked, but then, but then after I was talking to that person, they're like, oh, I mean, yeah, people ask these kinds of questions all the time. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I remember that one specifically because I felt so dumb afterward. Um, and that was from PWK. And from OSEP, I remember specifically asking about one of the lab hosts. I was like, you know, is this desired behavior? Is this thing? And I was actually talking to Morton, I think, and Ronan. So I was talking to them about it. You know, I was like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is really weird. I think something's messed up. And I remember them coming back and being like, no, you just don't know what you're doing. Go read the, go read the PDF. You'll figure it out. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, wow, okay, cool. And then I went back and referenced specifically that, that portion, you know, and I was able to solve it. And I went back to them and I was like, you're right. And they're like, yeah, we know we were right. We, we did the course. Right. But it was good because they were there to give me the, the sanity check of, no, you're on the right path, but you're just not looking at it the right way. And so, yeah, reaching out for help, I remember many instances of during the PWK labs and the OSCP labs, reaching out for help, help and saying, hey, I don't understand this. Help me understand. And that, that's where a lot of my learning comes from, reaching out to people who are smarter than me and getting their feedback on things. Because there's so many people that are better at this than I am. Why not take advantage of that? Mm-hmm. So being relatively new, right, you know, as with your new role, being a director of InfoSec, uh, what are some recommendations you can give to those who are looking to move up in their career or in the field? So this is a recommendation I would I would give to anybody, regardless of their role, regardless of whatever level they're at. Find problems for either your organization or the person you're important directly to that you can solve mm-hmm. and solve them. Don't don't ask if you can solve them. Just find a problem. Identify a pattern or a problem that's happening solve it, you know, and that may require collaboration with different departments, it may require collaboration, it may require additional learning on your part. As soon as you start solving other people's problems, then you become indispensable is the wrong word. You become seen as a problem solver, which gives you opportunities, right? And, and the other piece of advice I would give along those same lines is if you have a complaint about something, don't don't hesitate to tell someone, but you better have a solution to your complaint as well for most of the time, like 99% of the time. Because if you go to your boss 
and you're like, hey, <clears throat> this is all messed up. You know, I don't like the way this works. I want to change everything. Hopefully your boss looks back at you and says, great, what's your recommendation? But if you don't have a recommendation, you're just complaining. And, and it's okay to complain. It's okay to vent. Everyone needs to do it. But most of the time, you should have a constructive resolution for the thing you're trying to, uh, to complain about. And that helps shift people's perceptions around you as well, right? And, and as much of work, a lot of work is not necessarily politics, but a lot of work is soft skills. You know, and there's the technical skills. We, we need to be technically proficient, but you also have to have the soft skills. And developing those soft skills, looking for problem-solving opportunities, looking for opportunities to better yourself, developing those soft skills, I believe is key, especially in technical fields. Because the higher you move up in technical fields, the more soft skills are important and rare. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is people who are deeply technical and have good to excellent soft skills have so many opportunities presented to them. Because now you can sit in front of a customer, right? If you have excellent soft skills and excellent technical skills, I can give you to a customer without having to worry, you know, what the outcome of that, that interaction is going to be. So I would say those two things are big. And also be diligent about self-care. Um, you know, don't let yourself be burned out by your employer. Because if you want to advance, you've got to be able to have a, a decent work-life balance. <clears throat> you've got to be able to have some time to yourself to, to do the things you enjoy doing. Uh, you know, if you have a family, spend time with your family. If you have a significant other, spend time with your significant other. You know, those, those are the kind of things I think help drive career growth when you, have, when you have things that are important to you in life and then you solve problems and you always look for a growth mindset. Always look for a mindset of how can I expand my sphere of influence? How can I influence those around me for the better? Don't drag other people down, right? Bring other people up, lift everybody up. And then you're the kind of person people want to be around. Mm-hmm. And that, so that's my biggest focus, honestly, would be on soft skills. If you're already trying to further yourself with technical education, you're doing the technical part. Keep at it. And it's tough, man. It's tough sometimes, but keep at it. Mm-hmm. But the soft skills is a big place where I think we can all focus. I think those are some excellent points that you bring up there, you know, for someone who's trying to transition to a field. And soft skills are incredibly important for us to have in this field, because although we could be able to talk all the tech we want, you and I, when it comes to working with other people that are not tech savvy or don't have the technical knowledge we do, that's where we have to find ways to use our soft skills to work and communicate with them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I was on a call today where I was with a group, I was the only technical person on the call Mm -hmm. and I'm having to explain, you know, compensating controls and all these other things, but in a non-technical fashion, otherwise I'm going to lose the audience. They're just not going to care anymore. So I got to keep them engaged. I got to make it relatable. So it, it's all about developing those soft skills. Yeah. So you kind of brought up some soft skills. I imagine that's one of the things that you kind of look for in a, in a new hire, regardless of their experience in the field of whether they're just joining or they've been there for, for 10 plus years or, or whatever their time frame is. But, um, you know, in addition to those soft skills, what else do you look for in someone that you're trying to hire? So one of the big things that I look for is, I kind of talked about it a little bit before about passion projects. Like, and, and this goes back to work-life balance. I don't want to see someone who, unless this is what, well, you know, if all they want to do forever is write code and they don't ever want to do anything else. Awesome. That's great. Your life is your life. Do what you want to do. But I think showing me 
that you're passionate about a subject, but also well-educated about the subject outside of work is a big thing I look for in new hires. Um, and I also look for, could I work with this person? Right. And, you know, and, and that I'm just going to be honest, that's a huge part of it. You know, you do interviews with people and you got to figure out if you could work with them because some people you just, you might not get along with as well. And so a big part of it is finding the team fit. And, you know, I've, I've interviewed for some roles within the last couple of years. Once the pandemic started, I remember I did a bunch of interviews um, and a couple of them, I was just like, I just don't feel good about my fit here. You know, I, I don't feel like I would fit on the team here. And, and one of them, they actually said, you know what, we agree. We don't think you'd fit on the team. But it was an amicable party because we were both like, yeah, I don't think I'd be a good fit here. The culture fit's just not what I'm looking for. So, so looking for a culture fit, looking for passion, looking for what this person does differentiates them. And like I was talking to someone about cover letters and resumes the other days. My resume is one page and I've been working for, I don't know, like 18, 19 years or something. I'm old. And so like, I, I try to keep my resume succinct, right? But that's cool if you have a long resume, but like an over six page resume, wow, that's a lot to digest. So you better have some real cool stories to tell me in six pages or I'm going to lose interest by page two. So you make sure your resume tells your story in an accurate manner, but also like don't put in things that don't belong in your resume, right? Like don't tell me you're cool show me you're cool. How do you show me you're cool? Point me at your GitHub, right? Like even if your GitHub is just a bunch of mirrors of hacking tools so that you, if they go offline, you still have them, that shows me you're thinking ahead, right? Like you mirrored, um, let's say you mirrored PowerView because you wanted to make sure you had a certain version of PowerView always available for you, which by the way, I did that. I mirrored PowerView because I was like, I want this specific version. I know what it does. I like it. That shows me you think ahead, right? You plan. So show me how you think, show me what you do to plan. And then also I give out technical challenges. Um, and part of those technical challenges, it, it depends on the role, right? I've got a code review technical challenge. I've got an incident response and reverse engineering technical challenge. And that shows me your writing capability because writing is a huge thing. You've got to be able to write a report. Otherwise, um, then I have to have someone else writing your reports and then that makes it difficult to justify hiring you right? If you can't write a half decent report, I can't really justify hiring you. And so doing technical challenges and writing good reports is key. So like go out and find some open source software, look for a vulnerability in it, document the vulnerability with repeatable steps and the resolution to the vulnerability and go show that to people, right? Have it in your GitHub, your PDF of your good looking write-up that that has good business language in it. Those are huge differentiators. Awesome. I mean, so we, we kind of covered, you know, your, your, your work, your work history here and, you know, your journey through the various courses that we, we have and kind of some resources that you use, but, um, you know, for, well, I know you through discord pretty well, and I know that you have a passion for, for password cracking. <laughs> um, so, you know, what, what made you take such an interest in, in the, in terms of password cracking? So I remember I was uh, right after I, I started in InfoSec, my company sent me to a black hat training. Um, and it was like, it was the foundational infrastructure hacking or intro to infrastructure hacking training. Um, and so I remember taking it and we talked about hashing algorithms and, you know, hashes are not reversible. You know, it's a one-way cryptographic hash. 
Um, and I remember learning about cracking passwords and we went through the exercise and I love social engineering. I don't get to do it very much, but I love social engineering. And the social engineering component of cracking passwords is, is part of one of the reasons it appeals to me so much. So like if you say, okay, I got um, a password from a compromised domain host, right? And let's say they work for Acme Corp and Acme Corp sells sneakers, you know, and, and they're big into the market with runners. Okay, great. So I got this hash of this person who is the front desk person there, right? And I need this hash, or let's say they're a sysadmin. Let's say they're a sysadmin, so it's a valuable hash. So I got this hash. What do I know about them? I know they work at a sneaker company. I know the name of the company. And I can start digging into them, and I can start building my approach based off of that. So the, the social engineering aspect of, to me is especially intriguing. And I also love the aspect of, you never reverse the cryptographic hash, but you produce a similar enough cryptographic hash, depending on the hash algorithm, that with reasonable certainty, you can say this is the password. Like for salted hashes, you never produce the exact same digest, but it's with reasonable enough certainty for you to say, yes, this is it. Unless you have the static salt value, right? But if it's dynamic, it's it's never the same, but you get close enough to know, hey, this is what the password is. So the nerd inside of me loves that idea. The idea of I found this result that's close enough and it's going to work and it, and it always does. And the repeatability of it is also fascinating. And then you start taking a look at the, like the macro view of password cracking through um, communities, right? So like if you, for example, rocku.txt, you know, if you look into the history of that, there was a community of people online. And so there's going to be similarities based on the community of people online that you can treat organizations as communities, you can treat websites as communities. So you can build up your cracking profiles based on the community and shared experiences there. Leverage your social engineering ability to build a good way to crack that password. And then just that little endorphin hit when Hashcat gives you back the result, right? You see the hash gets cracked, you're able to use the password. And it's just, it's one of those good endorphin hits for me. You know, it's like the first time you ever got a reverse shell which I specifically remember my first ever reverse shell on a real system that was actually hosting software running for a company. I remember that feeling, the mixed feeling of euphoria and oh crap. So I, I remember that feeling very well. And it's the same thing cracking passwords. When you get a hit, it's that awesome feeling of, yay, I got the hit, but also that mixed feeling of, oh crap, I got a hit. So Jerry, I'm kind of curious, you know, since you have this you know, passion for password cracking, what are, you know, from your perspective, what are some like good rules, sets, or password lists that you would like to, you know, that you use, right, to help optimize your results when trying to crack, you know, let's say a set of hashes that you get? So my first one, I kind of talked about a little bit. My first approach is always going to be build a very small targeted word list based on your community, right? Mm-hmm. Where did I get the hashes? I got them from Acme Corp. Okay, Acme Corp, year, season. That's going in my, my small tailored word list, right? And then I look at the, you know, do they have a special brand of sneakers that's super popular, right? They've got the Air Acmes. Okay, Air Acme season year is going in my word list too. So I'm building a very small, very tailored word list based off of that. And then I look at the person, this person, John Doe. Great, John Doe, one, two, three is going in there. And then summer 2022, you know, season year, 
season year bangs going in there. So build a very small first pass at a word list just to see if you can get low hanging fruit, because more often than not, you will get low hanging fruit, Mm -hmm. especially depending on the volume of your hashes. Like if we're talking, you dumped a whole NTDS dit. Yeah. You're going to get a bunch with just season year bang. Right. Um, If it's a smaller set, then you tailor it more to that. And then once you've, once you've exhausted your, your small word list possibilities, Go grab Rock You. It's still relevant, even in 2022. That's what year it is now, right? Yeah, it's 2022. <laughs> Rocky.txt is, is still relevant. Yep. I mean, it still gets great results. Start with Rock You and then go get um, get Hash Killer. Um, the website's offline, but someone's still mirroring the word list. I know I'll have to check again. It's on my GitHub. It's mirrored. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you know, go grab, go grab those password cracking dictionaries. And then from there, start with rules. You know, add rules to it that, that get you some permutations. And I won't go too much. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about rules, right? The idea is you're making permutations off of your guest base, like uppering the first, uppering the last, lowering everything, adding a bang, adding it one, two, three. You And the best rule out there is one rule to rule them all. Um, and that's on my GitHub as well. You can go take a look at that. And I didn't make it, but I'm mirroring it there. And so, yeah. Do your dictionaries, then do your dictionaries with rules, and then add masks. So the idea of a mask is you add a placeholder for a character set representation that allows you to define that entire entire character set representation through two unique characters, right? So like I'll make a word, I'll, excuse me, I'll do a guess that says summer two zero uh, question mark D question mark D. And what that's going to do is do summer 20 and then every iteration of those two digits that they can think of in an order. And that'll cover that entire character set for me. So doing masks is a great way to expand quickly your, your word list capability. And you can even pipe those masks over into custom word lists really quickly to say, you know, I'm always doing the same thing, right? Great. I'm going to make a custom word list based off of the common masks that I use because you're going to get good you're going to get good results based off of the speed and strength of your cracking rig using rules and dictionaries on disk versus having them computed by mask. And it really does depend on your cracking rig. I mean, if you've got this super high powered cracking rig with four GPUs, it doesn't really matter. I mean, just do whatever you want to do. Right. But I've got this little wimpy cracking rig with a single GPU. And so I have to think about efficiency. Right. So I have to think about what's the most efficient way for me to grab these hashes. Um, what's the most efficient way for me to crack them? So, yeah, use Hashcat always unless it doesn't support the algorithm. And there's a couple that it doesn't support. Then use John. Um, and John does a pretty good job. I mean, it does good for what it, you need it to do, but always use Hashcat if you can. And then take your pot file, which is your results from your Hashcat run, and pipe them back into a word list. So if I'm cracking passwords at Acme Corp, and I, I got 12 hashes. Well, let's say I got 100 hashes, right, <clears throat> from Acme Corp, and I cracked 10 of them. Great. I'm going to cycle the results from those cracked ones back into a new word list, iterate over that new word list with rules and masks that will probably get me additional gains because within that community of Acme Corp, I'm going to find similar trends for passwords, right? And I'm going to know... Yeah, if I've got one person using this makeup of a password, there's likely other people using this makeup of a password as well. So be smart about the way you crack your passwords. Be be inventive. 
Um, don't just throw rock you at it and call it a day, you know, dig deeper, find creative ways to crack those passwords and then hit me up on discord. Cause I'd love to learn more creative ways. <laughs> I'll have to share some, uh, creative ways and some techniques with you after this episode, but sounds like you have some really good ideas and also you make some really good points as well too, for people who want to be able to build their own rule sets. How should they go your way? Right. In your process, which is really cool. I gotta, I gotta ask though real quick before you, you okay. go to the next question, TJ. <laughs> Like Jerry, how often do you actually use the the cool tool that's built into Cali, or even if it's not like you know built into other plat, you know other other distributions? Like, how often do you actually use that tool? I would say, if I'm working against hashes that came from a website, hundred percent of the time. If I'm working against hashes from a corporation, twenty percent of the time. And the reason is this: most corporations you're going to get hits with summer, you would look like season year, whatever. Right. And you're going to build off of that because so many organizations have such weird password requirements and password reset frequencies that makes their, that forces their employees into a routine, right. Of, of incrementing one digit or incrementing to a different special character. And so I've found that most of the time cool is going to give me way too much stuff. Right? It's going to scrape the website, give me all kinds of stuff that's not super relevant unless it's for the website. You know, so if I if I get hashes from like Acme Corp's um, PHP BB, then that's going to be a little bit more relevant to use cool to scrape and see what words are there. But if it's their their corporate hashes, then I'm just the, I'm the probably skip it and just go with the tried and true stuff. That's cool. So I guess we got one final question left. Um, and of course, I know you kind of talked about some things you kind of do outside of InfoSec, but when you aren't working or you're hacking away or you're, you know, cracking hashes, right? You know, what are some things you'd like to do outside of InfoSec that you're passionate about? You know, because you got to get away from all the hacking sometimes once in a while. You need, like you said, you got to take a step away. What are some things you like oh, yeah. to do? I, I love playing board games um, and card games. Mm-hmm. So love that. So I have a family. I love playing board games and card games with my family. Um, I love going on vacations with my family, go to very popular touristy areas a lot. And I absolutely love it. Um, and I'm a nerd for it and that's okay. <laughs> so we go frequently and I, and I love it. It's great. And it's super touristy, but that's awesome. Um, I love reading. I haven't read a book for pleasure in a while now, but I love to read, you know, um, we actually were on a long drive the other day listening to The Hobbit on audiobook. And it was just great to reconnect with that because that's one of the books that shaped me as a kid. You know, I was this little nerdy kid, found The Hobbit, and I was like, hey, look, I found my people. You know, people that like this kind of stuff, they're my people. And so that, yeah. you know, I love to read. Um, let's see, I talked about board games a little bit. I love playing board games um, and like battle board games. Like if you think along the lines of like Warhammer Fantasy, Warhammer 40K. Yeah. And some of the, the lighter versions of those love those kind of strategic games um, where you have to put in a lot of thought to every move you're going to make. Um, and yeah, love stuff like that. And card games too. Um, phase 10. If you've never played that game, super fun game, easy to pick up, quick to play. Love that game. And a lot of games from um, grandpa Beck. If you're ever bored and want a the super fast card game, go look at him on Amazon, make some really cool games. I love his games. Uh, love playing games on Switch too with my kids, mm -hmm. you know, and my wife. We're playing through um, Lego Harry Potter right now, 
And that's been fun, you know, just to play through Lego Harry Potter with him. I love playing video games with him. And I love getting away to, to remote places, right? I live in a place where there's a lot of opportunity to go outside and do things outside. Went for a hike the other day in the mountains and it was gorgeous. I loved it. So I love to be outside, love to be in nature. Getting over COVID right now, so I haven't been outside too much. But once I'm fully through it, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back outside. Good. That's, that's really good to hear. And I hope you also get well, of course. And it's glad that you have all these other little outside things you like to do, especially even spending time with your family and your kids, because I feel like that's one of the most important things you have to have as well. You know, that's why you got to step away from the computer sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that that kind of wraps things up here with us. So for everyone who's listening, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode here with Jerry. Uh, We hope you enjoyed everything and were able to gain some value from it. Be sure to check out the Offensive Security website for more info on these topics and our courses by going to offensivesecurity.com. Thanks again.